Well, like I said, we are in part three of our stewardship principles class, if we want to call it that. And um, this is part two of what I called extremes in our relationship with the world. So extremes in our relationship with the world, part two. Now, last time we talked about asceticism. Does anyone remember what asceticism is or want to give us a a guess of that? What's that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Monkinness. Is that what you said? Monkinness? Yeah. Uh, Yes. That's an, that's an example of, of asceticism is, is a monk. Uh, Okay. I said a new word, monkinism. Yeah. That's a good one. I've been known to make up the word here and there. Um, okay. So asceticism, um, what does it look like or, or how does it act? What do monks do that, that make them ascetics? Anyone want to kind of give us some of that? Good. Yeah. Denying yourself any pleasure that is good. Good. That's really, that's exactly it. What kind of pleasures do do monks deny themselves? Yeah, the, yeah, intimacy in marriage. Some of the Catholic churches and uh, monks would um, forbid marriage so that uh, they could devote themselves um, to the Lord's work. Now, that in and of itself isn't, isn't sinful, um, but the idea that, that you would have to, I think, is, is definitely wrong and not scriptural. Uh, what else do monks do? What are monks known for? Overzealous fasting, yeah, fastings. What else? What? Why? Why do you? What? What kind of vow do you often take if you're going to go live in a monastery? They're very picky, and they they have a few rules, and they have to obey the rules. Okay, <laughs> the monks are very picky, and they have rules, and have to obey those rules. Um, one of, you know, that's, that's good, Joel. I think that is in, that's in there. That is, uh, um, last time we did talk about how all forms of asceticism are, uh, I think, I think the word was arbitrary. There, there's, there's certain rules that they have, that they make, that they can or can't do, but where do we decide those rules? They're not always in scripture. And so they're, they're kind of, they're made up things. So asceticism is, um, this is a, from, the, uh, from the dictionary, severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence. And that's usually for religious reasons. So severe self-discipline, avoidance of all forms of indulgence. And, and, and so often like a monk would take a vow of poverty. They would, they would discipline their body with um, they wouldn't. They wouldn't enjoy even sometimes sleep or nice clothing or whatever. They would be very um, strict in how they and and what they were allowed to enjoy. Even often, the foods that they eat would be just very simple. They make certain kinds of rules the, of of how they're supposed to live. And and why do people typically engage in asceticism or or what's the religious 
reasoning or belief that underlies asceticism. And we talked about that a little bit last time too. What, what are, what are the, some of the beliefs that, that kind of form that worldview? Thought you had your hand up, Ken. No, no, hey. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So maybe, maybe less distractions. Um, what else? What, um, maybe I should be, get more specific. What, what do they often believe about the body? If you're an ascetic. There you go. Yeah. The physical is bad. And that's, that's often what kind of forms the foundation. It's a, a dualistic belief, physical versus spiritual. Physical is bad. Physical is evil. Physical is sinful. Spiritual is good. And therefore, in an effort to be spiritual, they're going to deny themselves physical pleasures. And even I think the word that I used last time even is enjoyment. An ascetic will often shy away from all kinds of enjoyment. Um, oh, here's where I have a, a, a ascetic practices, pilgrimages, fasting, prayer, prayer vigils, um, sleeplessness, you know, staying up all night to, to pray. Poverty is often part of it. They, they'll take vows of poverty or even sometimes tied with, with this ascetic Asceticism is this idea, um, and in the book that I'm going to look at a little bit later, Randy Alcorn, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, which is what I'm mostly using for, for our times together, um, he, t- he talked about, he, ta- he used Mother Teresa as an example. You guys probably have heard the name, a, a Roman Catholic um, missionary helping people with poverty in India. Um, and I, I don't know much about Mother Teresa, but um, I, so I'm not going to say anything if I can help it. But there, he gave an example in the book of how they had purchased a a building for use in wherever they were, and it, that building had carpeting in it. And so they, because of their views, they ripped out the perfectly good carpeting so that they could have just the wood floor underneath. And you, and it's just, it, it didn't, it didn't save anybody any money. The carpeting was already there. They ripped out the carpeting and threw it in the garbage because in their view for what, for whatever to the luxury of carpet was to be avoided. And so it's kind of often legalistic views of material things are tied to this. I remember, remember my friend, um, Percy the builder, he wasn't allowed to have chrome on his brand new truck that he was allowed. He was allowed to have a brand new truck, but he had to get that chrome bumper off there. Otherwise it was worldly, but he, he would buy the truck with the chrome bumper, take it off, throw the chrome bumper in the garbage and then buy a replacement. And in his mind, that was just like, that's just how you do it. But it it really makes no sense. It's just kind of legalistic views and there's no real purpose behind it. So asceticism, you know, is, is one um, one side of the ditch to fall off. Remember, remember Martin Luther had that, um, that illustration of man is like a, a drunk guy who fell off his horse on the one side and then he gets back on and then he falls off on the other side of his horse. And that's kind of, asceticism is the one side that we want to avoid. 
And we're going to now look at the other side. But often this ascetic side of living has warped views of God and warped views of salvation. The idea that, that God wants us to be in pain, that he wants us to suffer, that we're really spiritual if we're not enjoying anything in the world is kind of part of this whole thing. Um, that somehow often the idea is there, whether it's spoken out or not, but suffering itself somehow pleases God in and of itself. And that's, that's not, that's not true. Um, or even tied to salvation sometimes, there's somehow, maybe even in the back of the mind, this idea that God is appeased for all of my sins if I endure discomfort for religious purposes. And, and again, that's not the gospel either. So, so warped views of God and salvation are tied to this whole thing. Now, this will be a hard question, but I, I want to ask, ask it anyways. Um, what, and if you can remember, what cure did we present for asceticism? How do we get, how do we not be ascetic? Um, how do we, how do we cure this? What, what, um, what's the answer for asceticism? Yeah, good. Proper view of creation. I think that's that's a, a big part of it, right? God made us physical beings. He made us good, right? Everything that God made was good, and we are made physical and spiritual beings. Uh, in in the eternal state, we will be once again physical and spiritual beings. We'll have body and soul. We will live in probably literal mansions in heaven, real houses with lands. And we will eat yummy food and, and enjoy all the fruits of the gardens that are, that are going to be there. Um, so that's, that's part of it. What about in, in, in this life? What, what are we supposed to do with physical things in this life? How are we supposed to see them? And what are we supposed to do with them? You mean the idea of moderation? No. But the, but that's 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 okay. That's a good like it. I would I would be have a trouble if I was asking myself these questions and I was sitting there and be like, what's that guy talking about? What's he what does he, what does he want to answer? Um, no, but that's good. So let <laughs> thank you guys for putting up with me. Um, all right, so. I guess the, the thing that, that we talked about last time, I called it enjoyment. So we're, we're supposed to enjoy the good things that God blesses us with. And we're supposed to enjoy them with thankfulness. And so, um, God blesses us with physical things and we should enjoy them with thankfulness. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. We are, we were made to enjoy. And our enjoyment and thankfulness glorifies God. You know, when we enjoy some good food that he gave us and, and we, um, we thank him for that food and we, we give thanks back to him. When we enjoy it, we kind of reflect back the glory. He was good to give it to us and now we thank him back for it. And there's kind of this, this two way interaction between us and God. And through that, God is glorified for his goodness to us. And so 
on the one hand, we're to enjoy the good things that God gave us. And I, I want you to, let's go to 1 Timothy 6. And I think we, yeah, I know we looked at this passage last time, but let's look at it just a little bit more here. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to, uh, to 19. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 17, Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share Thus storing up for, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So Paul tells the rich, well, he tells Timothy to instruct the rich a couple of things, a couple of things they shouldn't do. They shouldn't be haughty. They shouldn't be proud of, of their, their, the money that they have. They shouldn't set their hope on Riches, which he calls the uncertainty of riches. Riches are no guarantee in this world and they can come and they can, they can go. God can take them away. So don't set your hope on that. And if we kind of turn it around in the negative, then instead of don't be haughty, we could say be, be humble with whatever you have and do set your hope on God, not on riches, uncertain, but set your, set your hope on God. That is certain. And then it says that really important line there about God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So God blesses his people with everything and, and he blesses us with that to enjoy. But then also with this, and this is kind of what Phil was guessing that I was getting at before, is kind of this balance. He says, he says to do good, verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and ready to share. So there's this kind of readiness in, in, in the rich people. Instruct them, teach them this, to be, to be generous and ready to share. And in verse 19, it says, thus... And, and the word thus there kind of indicates this is the way to store up treasure for our, ourselves for the future, which, which we would kind of put in Jesus' words, lay up treasure in heaven. So by be, doing good, by being rich in good works, by being generous, ready to share, this is the way that, that we can lay up treasures in heaven and take hold of that which is truly life. That which is truly life. And that almost, that, in fact, this whole section reminds me of where we started in this whole series with that parable in Luke 12. And remember, right before that parable, this is Luke 12, 15, Jesus said to them, he said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Paul says, take hold of that which is truly life. And Jesus says, your life is not the abundance of your possessions. And so the, 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 the proper balance, if we want to talk about it that way, is 
to enjoy with thankfulness the good things that God has provided for us, but also with that an eternal mindset that looks to and seeks to lay up treasures in heaven. So that's, that's the, that's the right balance. That's the answer really to asceticism and, and really to the other side as well. Um, so we need to be careful though, because like Jesus says, we need to take care and we need to be on our guard against all covetousness because we easily fall off the other end of the horse into materialism. And that's kind of the other, the other ditch is what we call materialism. And I want to spend pretty much the rest of our time today talking about materialism. And I think this is, this is the, the end of the horse where we would more likely fall off. Like I, I you know, I don't, I don't think, um, too many of you are going like sleepless nights, prayer vigils, or, or fasting yourself, you know, out of a body, or, um, you know, going on pilgrimages, or, in, you know, I just, I don't think that we're very tempted that way in our culture. I, I think we're more likely to fall off on the materialistic end of things. Um, it's just, it's just the, the, the world that we live in, the, the culture that we're in. Um, although, you know, we, we did note last time, right? There's lots of ascetic kind of practices in Mennonite culture as well, right? There's, there was, we were able to kind of list off a lot of things and see a lot of those things. And some of those things kind of do creep into our lives. But I think when we look at materialism, I think we'll see that it's, it's more, um, it's more likely that that's what we're going to struggle with. So technically, or maybe I should do this. What, what would you say? What is materialism? Anyone just want to kind of give us some thoughts on, on what that is? What you would call it? How you would describe it? Yeah. Possessions. It's, it's tied to possessions, right? It's tied to possessions. Yeah. Maybe a, a love for worldly possessions. Or a pursuit, that's a good word, love or pursuit. Yeah, you guys are doing great, keep it up. (laughs) Put trust, okay, yeah, so love, pursuit, trust, we're talking about material possessions, yeah, those are really good words. Um, Yeah, trust, and that kind of goes with that idea of certainty, the, the uncertainty of riches, but um, sometimes we, we put our, our hope in those things instead of in God. Um, technically, materialism, and this is from a dictionary, but I forget which one. Um, uh, th- th- yeah, um, this is actually from Randy Alcorn's book, but he was quoting a dictionary, and they, they said this, a theory that physical matter is the only or the fundamental reality and that all all being and processes and phenomena can be explained as manifestations or results of matter so it's the this idea that physical matter is really all that there is that that you know if you're a true materialist you don't believe in anything spiritual 
You just believe in the physical. That's all there is. And everything that happens, every, everything that, that happens in the world can be explained as some kind of result of the physical matter that we see and, and feel. And then Randy Alcorn says, out of that comes two other things. And again, he's quoting this dictionary. Uh, he says, it's a doctrine that the only or the highest value or objective lie in material well-being and in the furtherance or material uh, or sorry the furtherance the furtherance of material progress so the the idea then materialism is the idea that the very best and highest value and best goals are to to get more possessions to get more physical things and then an, a, another side part of that is a preoccupation with or stress upon material rather than intellectual or spiritual things. So that's kind of technically what materialism is. Everything, matter is the only thing. Matter is the best thing. Matter is the best goal. And material well-being is kind of the ultimate end that we can have for ourselves. That, you know, the, the, the more money that we make, the better. Um, and being preoccupied with that versus intellectual or spiritual things. Now, on, on those definitions, um, what would you say, could a Christian be a materialist in, in that sense? No, right? Chris, why not, Phil? Or why not anyone? Why, Chris, Phil says no. But anyone, why could, why could you not be a Christian if you're a materialist like that? Well, God and money are fundamentally opposed. The Bible tells us we cannot serve both God and money. Money generally being a symbol for material possessions. Good. So Phil says you can't serve God and money, and so those two things are fundamentally opposed, so you can't be a Christian and be a materialist. And, and, I, think, and I think that's exactly right. Um, if, you know, in fact, a Christian obviously is somebody who believes in the Lord, right? In God, in Jesus Christ, all kinds of spiritual things. And so you can't technically be somebody who believes that matter is, is the only reality. You believe that there's, if you're a Christian, you believe there's a reality outside of money and possessions, a spiritual reality, a heaven and hell, a God who created us that that the reason that there is matter is because of God and, and, and not that matter could explain everything that there is. The reason that there's matter, the reason that there's physical things is because God created it. So on this definition, Christians cannot technically be materialistic or materialists, but... Uh, unfortunately, we, we sometimes act in those ways. And I, th- and I think that's, that's the problem. The world around us constantly influences us with their values, with their priorities, with their goals, and almost just like, it, you know, we were, we, before we were saved, we were kind of immersed in that. And now that we are saved, it, it affects us. And I think it affects us like more than we recognize. Uh, in a lot of ways, it just, it just kind of seeps at us and it, it's constantly there going, this is, this is what's important. This is a priority. This is a good goal. And, and before we know it, 
We're just kind of becoming more and more like the world around us. So we're materialistic when we, when we live as though matter and physical things are the most important. Or as though this world or this present time was all that there was. And I think sometimes we, we live like that, if we're honest. We live like the most important priorities, the most important pursuits, the most important things we can do with our time or, or money or, or energy or whatever we have is, is to kind of get more stuff, get more possessions. And, and we live as though at times, um, that's where our highest good is, as though that's the place where we're going to find joy and fulfillment. And, um, and that's when we kind of act like materialists or when we, when we live as though like this present time is all that there is and we forget about eternity and what God has in the future for us. And uh, when we live like that, we're kind of, we're living like materialists, even though I think we, we know that that's not true. Um, any, any thoughts or, or questions so far as we kind of looking at this? Anyone like uh, agree or disagree? I'm almost scared to a- ask that, but. Well, I was thinking of the, uh, the parable that we read last time to start this off. Yeah. The guy who built barns and built them bigger. Yeah, the rich man. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Alan's kind of reminding us Luke chapter 12. And, and, uh, the, well, let, let's just quickly go there again. Luke chapter 12 in the parable, I think it's around verse, uh, 19 is kind of what's in my mind. There, there, remember this, this rich man, um, Verse 16, he, his land produced plentifully and he thought, you know, what am I going to do? I don't, where am I going to store my crops? And then he says, I know I'm going to just tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger ones, store my goods. Verse 19, I'm going to say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But then God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so there's this kind of, this, this guy's a materialist, is kind of, that's what, you, you know, that's the idea. He's a materialist. He's just gonna, he, he's, he's living as though the only thing that there is is this world and, um, and he's going to enjoy his comfort in, in this world. He's going to relax. He's going to eat. He's going to drink. Nothing wrong with any of those things in themselves. Nothing wrong with being merry of itself. But when you start to live for that, and that's the only thing, and you're not rich towards God, all of a sudden, God's going to say that you're a fool. You, got, you, you should be laying up uh, riches towards God. And we'll, we'll talk about what that actually means later on in this series um, but that's that's a good um, picture of the the materialist. So let's. I want to take you here to as we think about introducing this. I want to take you to Luke. No, not Luke. Matthew chapter six, and a passage we looked at when we were in the Sermon on the Mount. 
So Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Phil already mentioned this, these verses as well. Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Jesus says this. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he uses this kind of this illustration. He says, the the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, and, and uh, the ESV says money, but actually if you look at your little footnote there, uh, my footnote six probably in your Bible, it says Greek is mammon, a Semitic word for money or possessions. So you cannot serve God or money and possessions. So I went back today and I kind of looked through the, the sermons that I preached on that section and um, just trying to remember this passage and what, what it teaches. But Jesus says that we're to lay up treasures in heaven. And the way that, that we saw that we were to do that when we looked at this text is we're to do it by doing and, and even suffering for righteousness sake. So if we, if we, um, if we do righteousness and if we suffer for righteousness sake, which is also for Jesus' sake, Jesus has told us already in this Sermon on the Mount that he will reward us. And so that seems to be the idea here of laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven that when, when we live for Jesus' sake, there's going to be a reward for that. And so we're to lay up the one and, and not the other. He says in verse 33, um, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. The, and remember, what are these things here? What, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? All of these things will be added to you. But we are to seek first Jesus's kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the idea there, again, is just that we're to, we're to serve God in this world and um, and actually the contrast between verse 19 and 20 kind of shows that as well. We're not to lay up treasures on earth, but instead we're to lay up treasures in heaven. And so the idea there then is that we're to use the treasures from the one place, earth, to lay up treasures in the other place, heaven. And what are what are our treasures? It's, it's, um, well, just let me, let me not, let me not go to there yet. So lay up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Jim Elliott kind of put it this way, and I think it's just a really helpful little quote. He says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I think that's just really, really good. 
He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And the idea there again is that we're, we're giving up things in this world which we can't keep, right? We're gonna, we're gonna leave the, this world behind. We're gonna leave our things behind one day. And, and, and we're not foolish if we, if we kind of give them up now to gain rewards in heaven that we can never lose, that moth and rust can't destroy, thieves can't break in and steal. It's an enduring kind of investment in heaven is what Jesus calls us to do. So Jesus again is encouraging us to, or, or even commanding us to use our time, resources, and our energy to serve him. And then he says, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where our treasure is, there our heart will be. If we invest in heaven, our heart will be in heaven. If we invest in the earth, our, our heart, and again, what's our heart? Our, our, our minds, our emotions, um, our, our whole focus in life, our thinking will be on the things of the earth are on the things of heaven. So where we put our treasure, if it's in heaven, our heart's going to follow. Our, our focus will be there. But if we, if our treasure is on earth, our heart will be on earth. And then in chapter, in verses 25 and following, Jesus says, if, if your, if your treasure's on earth, it's going to lead to anxiety. It's going to lead to worry. You're going to be concerned about the things of this world. You're going to be going, where do I going to eat? What am I going to drink? But if you instead put your focus on the kingdom of heaven and seek first the kingdom of heaven and the righteousness that Jesus commands us to in the Sermon on the Mount, if we seek that first, then God will take care of our physical needs and and he says we don't need to worry. And then he gives this kind of a, a an interesting little illustration. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And I don't know if I can can bring this all back right now in my mind, but the, the idea there of the eye was that whatever, if, if you have a good eye, which really means a single eye or a um, a sincere eye, if you have a good eye, it kind of lights the way of the whole body, the whole person. So if, if, but if I was blind, I would, everything about me would be in darkness because I wouldn't be able to see. And so if my eye is good, it kind of, it kind of lights the way for my whole body so that I can see what I'm doing. I can see what's going on. But if my eye is bad and I have some kind of eye disease or something, then my body's not going to know where I'm going and, and I'll be full of darkness. And the idea here and the way that this, this little illustration works is that this is another way to talk about where, where our focus is. If our focus is on heavenly things, if our focus is on God and his glory, then our whole person is going to be kind of lit up by God and his glory and we're going to kind of, things are going to go well. But if our, if our focus is on the things of this world, then Jesus says, well, if, if, if the thing that's lighting your way is actually darkness, then how dark is your darkness? So again, the question is, is, you know, where is our treasure? Where is our heart? Where is our focus? Are we earthly focused or heavenly focused? Are we, is our focus 
on God or on what Jesus calls in the verse 24, is it on mammon? Uh, again, mammon means wealth, property, and possessions. It's, it's the, and, and then kind of from out from there, it then comes to mean what a person trusts in. So, um, mammon is, again, wealth, property, possessions, and that in which one trusts. And Jesus says in verse 25 that we can't serve two masters. We're either gonna, you can't serve God and money. And again, that, that word there to serve in verse 24 is that Greek word that, that I tried to teach you a few weeks ago. It's the word doulos. Anyone remember what doulos means? Slave. slave. So it, you can't be a slave to God and wealth, property, possessions. You can't trust God and your possessions at the same time, because like Phil said, those two things are mutually exclusive. And so what we need then is, is, um, is a single eye, uh, an eye that, that sincerely purposes to glorify God with our lives. That, that's really the whole answer to this whole thing. Both God and wealth are kind of trying to do the same thing. Both, both of them want to be our treasure. The, the world wants us to take that as, as, as our treasure. God wants us to take Him as our treasure. The, the world and God both claim that they're going to satisfy our hearts. Um, they both claim that they, they can provide enjoyment for us in this life. Both want to have us serve them with our time and talents and resources, but we really can only serve one or the other. You can only live for one or the other. And the way Jesus says it there, you, you know, it's either a love-hate kind of a thing, or it's a devoted to one, despise the other. You know, serve the one or serve the other. Uh, we could say live for the one or live for the other, right? Worship the one or worship the other. Those are kind of our options here. Um, we either, we really choose one or the other at any given time. And so, um, the answer to this whole dilemma of materialism, which affects us, I, I just, I don't, I don't know that there's a way to, to just say, uh, I'm not going to be materialistic anymore. I think the only way that we can get out of our materialism is to learn to love and want to glorify God and serve Him with, with everything that we have. I just, you, you, you can't just say stop doing that because that's like, that's what we have. That's, this is where we are. Um, you know, I, and, and you, and you can't just kind of say like, well, chrome is worldly and, and plush carpet is worldly up to this much per square foot. And then beyond that, you know, less than that, it's, it's not worldly. It's, it's really a matter of, of the heart. And so the only way I think for us to be delivered from this worldliness is to follow Jesus's advice here. Put our treasure in heaven by seeking first the kingdom of God. Our, our eye is focused on living for his righteousness and his glory. 
And I, and those other, those other things will, will more and more get pushed out. Um, Any, any thoughts on that? I, I really, I should have come up with more questions on this section, but I just, I really didn't come up with any. Anyone want to chime in a little bit? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. How do we get more godly so that we can be less worldly? <laughs> yeah, you got to just wear yourself out coming to church services, right? And and then you're back to asceticism. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and this is like this is the thing where I don't know that. Like again, there's not going to be legalistic answers to this whole thing. Um, it's a matter of the heart, and I, I think it's important to know also, and, and I, I did want to talk about this later, but we can, we can talk about it right now. Um, we, so we, we just said earlier, we're free to enjoy things and be thankful for them, and that's, that's okay. Um, but we're not free to love the world and serve the things that, that we have. And so there's a, a balance there that is a little bit like, and it's a little bit subjective too. I think, um, I think it's, I think it's good to recognize that, that, um, it's okay to like, to like and enjoy nice things. We can, we can have nice things and it's not necessarily worldly. Um, it's funny when I, when, well, when, when Jody and I, when I asked Jody to marry me at the time, very long time ago, long, long time ago, um, <laughs> I, I actually thought world, uh, wedding rings, I just thought that was worldly. And so poor Jody, you know, like just not like, I just, I wouldn't buy her a wedding ring because I just thought like that is so worldly. And we could give that money to the poor and feed the poor or something like that. And um, now I kind of laugh at it, but it's, she has a wedding ring, praise the Lord. (laughs) Um, But like how, how big of a rock is, uh, is uh, too big of a worldly wedding ring? I don't know that, that we can put the value on that and just say like dogmatically, I, I would I would say pretty dogmatically now wedding rings aren't necessarily worldly. I have I actually have like multiple <laughs> wedding rings now. Um, uh, Joel's keeping track, so um, I have apparently four wedding rings. Um, anyways, I and and like you know, I do I like nice things. I'm just I'll just be like this is this a convicts me too. I really like nice things, and I really dislike junky things that break or don't work. And um <laughs> Ellen thinks that's hilarious. Oh, you got you got one like that too? Um 
I, it's just, it's just, and, and that's okay, but it's not okay if I, if I start living for and serving my things. And that's the danger because things can quickly, you, you start collecting things and now you, they require care and, and time and, and resources and, um, and, uh, you know, you can, you can get haughty about your things and you can start to trust in your, the things that you have instead of trusting in God. So that, that's a great question. And I just, I'm just like, I don't have all the answers in this class. Um, but it's, it, we need to be careful. And I think just like continually renewing our minds with the word is probably part of it. I think, understanding and meditating on the glory and greatness of God and the, and, and keeping our thoughts on eternity and, and the life to come because we, we got to just, I think we always need to remind ourselves like, this is not it. This is not the end. There's something coming in the future that's going to be way better. And, and we so quickly forget about that. What about Prepping? What is, I don't know what prepping is. Oh, hoarding. You mean hoarding? Okay. (laughs) I never heard someone put it so nicely. Prepping. That's a... (laughs) My, yeah, my bombshell. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, how, um, you know what? We, we will, we will get to that in the more practical part of this, of this thing. Um, there's a place for saving, I think, like, I, I, so I might call it saving, but, but it's kind of the same thing, right? Like saving up and storing for the future. There's, there's wisdom in that, but we can also go too far and, and like forget about eternity. So, um, yeah, that's great. Prepping. You were thinking about prepping? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is a, I think, so just briefly, there is a place for saving. Um, but again, as long as it's not to the extent that like you totally forget about eternity and that all that prepping like the lord might come and it's just like it could just be useless but the 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 um what do they call it what do they call that the plague might come that's that's not the word i was quite looking for but the plague might come and you'll be just like i'm i'm thankful i'm prepped right so yeah (laughs) yeah who knows um all right so I just want to read this section from Randy Alcorn's book because I, I thought there, the, these couple sections here are, are really helpful. He calls this section Warnings from the Word. And he says, Materialism fills the pages of Scripture. And then he's going to just kind of give us some things from Scripture. Achan's lust for money and possessions brought death to himself, his family, and dozens of men in battle, Joshua 7. You remember the story of Achan and how he took some of the things that were in the ban, I think some of the gold and stuff that he wasn't supposed to take, and he took that and he buried it in his tent 
and God judged him and his family, and, and actually Israel lost some battles because of that. Then he says, the prophet Balaam cursed God's people in return for Balak's payment in Numbers 22. Delilah betrayed Samson for, to the Philistines for a fee, Judges 16. Solomon's lust for more and more wealth led him to disobey flagrantly God's prohibitions against accumulating long, large qualities, quantities of horses, gold, silver, and wives. To gain wealth, Gehazi lied to Na- Naaman and then to Elisha, for which he was afflicted with leprosy, 2 Kings 5. In the ultimate act of treachery, Judas asked the chief priests, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Judas then betrayed the, the son of God for 30 pieces of silver. And there's a list of scriptures that talks about that. In the midst of God's powerful work right after the church was born, Ananias and Sapphira withheld money that they said was given to the Lord and were struck dead for it. Acts 5, 1 to 11. It's no accident that this happened so early in church history and that God acted in such powerful and memorable way. It was as if he was saying, the church will not be immune to materialism, greed, and deceit, but I will bring strong judgment on those who poison my church with them. The subsequent story of Simon Magnus sends the same message, Acts 8. 18 to 21. And then he says, Jesus Christ sounded a sober warning against materialism in any form and in any age when he said what we already quoted from Luke 12, 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so we see there just throughout scripture, lots of warnings about the danger of materialism. And, and really, it, it, it really does um, offend God greatly because when we love this world and, and, and again, there's a fine line between loving and enjoying. I think we, we should enjoy it and we should be thankful. But when we, when we live for it and, and pursue it and trust it, we're not living for pursuing and trusting God. And, um, and that's really quite an offense to God because he says, I'm worthy. I'm satisfying. And ultimately, the, the world isn't satisfying and it's not worthy of our lives. And so God is jealous for his glory and, and really for our affections. And so he loves us enough to, to discipline us and warn us against um, living for these things. So um, Alcorn, Alcorn kind of brings out two types of of ways that greed affect us. Um, he, he talks about how there's possessiveness, which is where, where we, we cling to, uh, what we have and we're selfish with what we own and we're not quick to share. We're not generous. We're, we're stingy with our things and we want to, we want to hold on to them. That might be very like close to hoarding, but not quite the same thing. Possessiveness is, is kind of one manifestation of greed. And the other manifestation of greed is called covetousness. And that's when we want something that we, well, that we don't have. And we, um, we, we long to have what the things that God hasn't given us. And instead of just kind of, pa- you know, patiently trusting or asking God about those things, we, we almost 
move into sinful ways to get those things that we want. And, uh, and that's another form of, uh, of greed. So possessiveness and covetousness. And in Ephesians 5, um, 5 to 7, uh, there's this, this, um, this, you know, actually kind of a frightening warning. In Ephesians 5, 5, it says, be sure of this. Or actually it says, you may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness or who is covetous, and then Paul says that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. And so this there's this sexually immoral and impure people. They, they will not inherit the kingdom. And covetous people, that is idolaters. When, when, we, when we covet, we are committing an act of idolatry. We are, we are worshiping the thing. And, and again, there's a, there's a place where we can, in our hearts, we can want something and it's not a sin. But when we, when we want it so bad that we become willing to sin to get it or to, you know, to lie to have it, to cheat to have it, to, to, to scheme ways of getting it when it, when it consumes our thoughts and, uh, that's when it becomes an, an, a form of idolatry. It's a form of worship of things. And, you know, it's, I, I think it's helpful just to think sometimes like, I do not worship that thing. Like I do not, I do not live for that thing that I, that I, that I desire right now. Um, so anyways, that, that's kind of, that's kind of that. Paul says again, because of those things, because of this covetous idolatry, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. God's wrath comes on unbelievers for that. Don't have any part of that don't even partake with them in that for he says in verse 8 for at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the lord walk as children of light and again i th- the only cure to this whole thing that i can really think about is is to to love and worship god and serve him and and that will that will keep us from idolatry and 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 stay in the balance between you know, we don't want to be ascetic on the one hand. We don't want to be materialistic on the other hand. We want to enjoy the things that God has freely given us, but not to the extent that we only enjoy them and, and we only think about this age because we know that our ultimate enjoyment and our, our true good is in heaven with, with Christ at a future age and that even now we, we're free to give up some of those enjoyments to lay up treasure in heaven because that's what Jesus commands us to do. Uh, any, any questions at, at this point? I wanted to read something from page 42 here, just really short. He says, idolatry, uh, this is again, Randy Alcorn. He says, idolatry is worshiping and serving anything other than the one true God. Everything material, everything material we have, including money, is either a tool or an idol. We fail to use it as a tool. If we fail to use it as a tool for God's intended purposes, it mutates 
into an idol. Again, something that we worship other than the one true God. So yeah, any, any questions or, or, or thoughts at this point? You guys doing okay? Yeah? Okay. Um, I'm just going to read one more, one more thing from this book, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll lay it off with that. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I was going to say something about it, but I'll, let me just read it, and then, then maybe we'll say something. Uh, after one of our church's missionaries had been home for a month, he said... Quote, I've been overwhelmed with the materialism here. End quote. When another missionary was returning to the field after a year's furlough, we asked him, what struck you most in the time you were home with us? His matter-of-fact reply was sobering, quote, what struck me the most was how people use their houses to make statements to each other. Their houses aren't just places to keep warm and dry, but showcases to display their wealth and impress each other. End quote. Both these men were from other cultures. The sad thing is that if either had stayed in the United States for another year or two, he might no longer have noticed. Like the frog that boiled to death by degrees, we tend to gradually acclimate to our materialism, becoming desensitized to it. Finally, we regard it as normal rather than an aberration. The hardest part of dealing with our materialism is that it's become so much a part of us. Like people who have lived in darkness for years, we've been removed from the light so long that we don't know how dark it really is. Many of us have never known what it is not to be materialistic. This is why we need so desperately to read the scriptures, to grapple with these issues, to bring them to God in prayer, discuss them with our brothers and sisters, and look for and learn from those rare models of non-materialistic living in our Christian communities. If we were to gain God's perspective, even for a moment, and were to look at the way we go through life accumulating and hoarding and displaying our things, we would have the same feeling of horror and pity that, we, that any sane person has when he views people in an asylum endlessly beating their heads against the wall. For years, the argument against materialism among Christians has been that materialism is wrong. Materialism is wrong, but since this line of argument has proven itself ineffective, perhaps it's time for a new approach. Materialism is, I'm going to use the word dumb. In fact, materialism is insane. Seeking fulfillment in money, land, houses, cars, clothes, boats, campers, hot tubs, world travel and cruises has left us bound and gagged by materialism and like drug addicts, we pathetically think that our only hope lies in getting more of the same. Meanwhile, the voice of God, unheard amid the clamor of our possessions, is telling us that even if materialism did bring happiness in this life, which it clearly does not, it would leave us woefully unprepared for the next. And, um, you know, that's like a, a very sobering thing to read, um, and maybe in some 
instances it goes just a, like a little bit further than, than I would go or say. But I, I think, I think in a, in a large way, Randy Alcorn is right. And we just, we're so Western and we don't even notice how, how it's really crept in on us. So, um, again, I, I, I don't want you to go to the other extreme and everyone's wearing tattered clothes and we're, and you know, and fasting and you just, you only eat bread and water. Um, but I think good things to think about. We, we don't, we don't want to be the drunk that falls off both sides of the horse. We, we want to ride on the horse, which again, as far as I can see, is enjoying the good things that God has given us with thankfulness. But, Never forgetting about eternity. And, um, and as we kind of go through the rest of, of this series, we're, we're going to get into some more, more practical, um, things. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, convicting lesson, convicting for me, uh, also like challenging. But when you think about it, as a Christian, we don't want to live for this world. Like, I don't want to worship the nice things that I enjoy. I just, I, I think it's great to enjoy them, but we have to be careful that we don't go beyond that and that we don't end up living for and, and almost serving our things instead of serving God. So, um, I think I'll just end it right there. And, uh, if, you know, if you guys want to talk more about these things or whatever in private or in public, we can do that anytime. Uh, Lord, thank you for our time together tonight. And uh, we just pray, Father, in our relationship with the world, that you would give us the right balance. We look at some of the great saints of old, and they were more on the ascetic side, and they they fasted and served you. And, and like John the Baptist wore uh, uncomfortable clothes and ate honey and locusts and you know, part of us wants that, Lord, and then the other part of us knows that you have richly given us all things to enjoy, and you've called us to enjoy the physical things in this world without without using them wrongly. And just pray, Father, that you'd give us the balance. Pray that that we wouldn't do anything just out of guilt in this as we think about this, but we would just just be free and cheerful givers, that we would love you and just do what we do, laying up treasures the way that you call us to in your word. Um, we pray that we would be heavenly minded, that our eye would be single for your glory. We pray that you would deliver us from asceticism or world, worldliness and, um, and just help us to live the way that you want us to live for your glory. Um, we ask these things really sincerely from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.